Uh, hey, Southland City Church uh, friends and family and uh, everyone who listens to the podcast, this is a special episode where we're going to have a conversation that we want to share with all of you. Uh, so a little background on this. If you were uh, tuning in during a series that we did not too long ago where we talked about our relationship with time, uh, one of the mantras that we use at Southland City Church is fields, not factories. And we use that to talk about um, what it means to be human and to recognize that there are some assumptions that we might have embraced about what it means to be human or what it means to be spiritual that actually don't have a lot to do with the way that Jesus talks about those things. So fields, not factories. And one of the differences between a field and a factory uh, is a factory doesn't have seasons, but a field does. And so, um, so we, we talked about that a little while ago. And uh, one of the ways that we play that out as a community is to take advantage of uh, a tradition that comes from the followers of Jesus uh, over the last 2000 years that you could call the liturgical year. So Advent's right around the calendar, uh, which is uh, a season that you may or may not have much experience with. Uh, but we want to talk about that a little bit. And we want to talk not just about how it could be an idea or something that happens on Sunday mornings or Tuesday nights in our gatherings, but how um, the, the season of Advent can get sort of roped into our everyday lives and the kind of gifts that it offers us as we grow in grace and peace. So uh, to do that, I got a friend here, a member of our community, Jessica Hughes, and I'm really excited to introduce you guys. Uh, Jessica and her husband, Andrew, are kind enough to welcome me to their dining room table tonight uh, so we can have this conversation. And not too long ago, uh, we were hanging out and over a glass of wine, they were just sharing with me uh, some of the ways that, um, that Lent shows up in their family's life together. And it was so inspiring to me that I thought the next time we come around to one of these seasons, let's learn from what they do. Uh, so I've got Jessica Hughes here, Dr. Jessica Hughes. <laughs> Uh, Jessica, um, tell us a little bit about like you, your work, and how you guys ended up at South Bend City Church. So we um, came to South Bend in 2009. We had both finished doing master's degrees at Regent College. Uh, mine was in uh, literature and the arts um, and thinking about those through th theological lenses. Um, and my professors there kept saying, you know, you're pretty good at this academia thing. You might want to think about PhD work. And um, I ended up getting into Notre Dame, so we came here for that. And Coming to South Bend was sort of a, a really transition point in our lives. Mm. Um, I, I had been traveling the world all through my 20s and having a great time doing it. As had Andrew, that's how we met. Um, we'd spent three years in Sydney, living right at the beach. We'd spent three years in Vancouver, skiing all the winters. Um, yeah, so on par together. with South Bend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was like, okay, South Bend. Andrew came for the first time in a U-Haul. He had never seen the place. Um, and, you know, we bought a house and I fell pregnant really quickly thereafter quite by surprise and suddenly it was like wow we have a house and we're going to have a baby and suddenly like adult life kind of hit in this strange way as I was doing a PhD um, and with that um, there was kind of an opportunity to start putting into practice a lot of the things we had talked about hypothetically at Regent or experimented with in various community groups um, in terms of how do we uh, how do we bring um, our Christian faith to life in our everyday practices in our yeah. home as a community of two, as a community of possibly three, yeah. um, as you know, that was kind of becoming a reality. Um, and also thinking about how do you create a sense of um, identity that is intentionally Christian and countercultural? Because yeah. one of the things that started to become a real burden once I realized I was pregnant was, wow, I've got to like raise a kid like to be an adult and that um yeah, yeah. it's quite a task like, apparently so, in, in this world whoa. With, like, everything going on around us yeah, yeah and right. so starting to think about how do you how do you form christian um community in the home um with whomever you find yourself a partner mm -hmm. um you know roommates a community house or potentially you know 
a spouse and children. Yeah. Um, so what does yeah. that look like? So yeah, yeah, that's kind of how we got here. And then South Bend City Church um, found you guys back in May. We were kind of at another sort of transition point mm -hmm. and it was everything I didn't think I wanted in a church and we loved it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. We get a lot of that. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, so, uh, so this episode is um, kind of going out into the world right as um, the church around the world turns to the season of Advent. So let's get real basic. First of all, we're just talking about uh, the four Sundays before Christmas. Yep. And uh, people may know, might know that as the Christmas season, or they might know that as a crazy hectic season, or they might know <laughs> it as um, work Christmas parties or, or whatever, shopping season. I, I don't know. Um, but we're turning to uh, this deep tradition of naming something different in those mm -hmm. four weeks. Uh, Advent. Um, if somebody just asks you like in a few sentences, what is Advent? How would you tell them what it is? So Advent is, it's a season of preparation. Um, and the church started observing it somewhere around the fourth century. Um, the word comes from the Latin adventus, which is like coming or mm -hmm. like waiting, something that's going to Arrival, happen. Arrival, something, yeah. something that has not happened yet. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, the church realized that as they were preparing to celebrate um, the nativity of Jesus, you know, Jesus' birth, that you ought to do some sort of preparation for that. Yeah. But beyond that kind of, for the past couple thousand years, it's been a bit wishy-washy in terms of what that's looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there are a lot of historical reasons for that. But essentially, Advent, when it's been observed by the church, it's been observed as a time of waiting, of preparation, of longing, mm -hmm. um, of confronting the darkness in the world. There's a lot of readings um, in, in traditional churches that follow a lectionary or like a set of readings each year. Yep. Um, there's a lot of readings from the Old Testament prophets about like, yeah. when will you come, O God? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Um, how long, O oh Lord, you know, mm -hmm. stir up your wrath, O oh God, and, you know, defend yeah. us, that sort of stuff. So it's, it's yeah. not a, it's not really a happy season or a <laughs> sentimental season at all. <laughs> yeah. I, even just right there, as you name that, um, one of the things that struck me, the, the more I sort of, uh, try to understand or press into, um, the kind of spirituality that like I find in the Bible mm -hmm. or in the history of the church, whenever the church has been at her best, um, it, it seems like what I discover is like a very spacious spirituality, meaning yeah. like it has room for all these different experiences, right? Yeah. Like hope and uh, longing, aching, lament, woundedness, mm -hmm. um, darkness and light, which I, I find like really compelling and really beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and I wouldn't have had words for it when I was younger, but I think sometimes the sort of Christian package I got mm -hmm. was kind of cramped. Yeah. It didn't have room for a lot of that. So you're naming a kind of a spacious, um, season that, that, that gives voice to or that, that says we, we should turn our attention to some of these themes like um, waiting, aching, longing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what I found so attractive about Advent as a, as a period of time or just an idea, mm -hmm. um, especially with Christmas. You know, it's it always kind of struck me as odd to be like walking around stores, you know, in the weeks leading up to Christmas and you hear these, you know, happy joy to the world. Yeah, and you think like, yeah. I'm just, you know, watching my newsfeed and there's mass shootings going on and there are all sorts of horrible things going on all over the world. You know, women dying um, for lack of prenatal care mm -hmm. in America. Um, you know, stuff like that. that you just go, joy to the world, the Lord is, how do these two things fit together? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's something really wonderful and wise in the, in the church tradition of before we get there, kind of confronting yeah, the fact yeah. that whatever went on in the incarnation of Jesus it started something, but that's the beginning of the story that is not yet finished. Yeah. And we're still in the process of watching that peace actually come, of watching shalom, justice, peace, goodness, mm -hmm. mercy be established in a real way in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think 
I don't know. I kind of, I, I think it's kind of a little bit subversive really to embrace that side of Advent as everyone else is kind of trying mm -hmm. to be so cheerful, even when we're not yeah. um, to be like, actually, no, this is a time when I'm going to be saying, Oh Lord, that you would calm down among mm -hmm. us. Yeah. with all of the burden that is behind that mm. I, I know like um you, I don't, you don't have to be a pastor to know this but in my <laughs> pastoral work I feel even more in touch with how um in this season that maybe commercially or mm. and how it's marketed it's all about joy and good feelings and warm fuzzies and great meals with family but in fact like a, a great number of people find this a really difficult season on their like just kind of naturally that it, it comes to <laughs> yeah. them as a painful time or a time of um, where maybe there are losses in their life that are, have been there for a while, but they're mm -hmm. like the volumes turned up on them in yeah. this season. Yeah. So even another reason maybe to appreciate this gift uh, from the history of the church. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm often, I'm used to sort of reading about and understanding um, as we talk about Advent and, and what you sort of revisit or think about. Uh, I often like see people talk about like, um, sort of three advents of Christ, mm -hmm. meaning like the, the historical sort of coming of Christ 2000 mm -hmm. years ago, yeah. the advent of Christ in our lives, mm -hmm. and then sort of longing toward the future um, that God sort of promises in Christ. Mm -hmm. I, is, have you come across that sort of that way of working out these different ways of thinking about Advent? Yeah, I mean, I think that the two that you see most commonly are the historical coming and the future coming. Those are certainly yeah, the ones that yeah. have been um, focused on the most in terms of liturgical church practice. Okay. Um, but there's always a sense of and, and this comes down to, you know, in the individual life, we're always in this sort of already not yet tension, yeah. right? That <laughs> apparently peace has been made. Apparently God has come down, but, you know, we're, we're still waiting for the, the, fulfillment yeah. of that, the fulfillment of that in our individual lives, in our corporate lives, um, and certainly as a, you know, wider world and society. So, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I think, um, and I think it's important to always have that sort of, you know, double or triple vision on it. Mm -hmm. That, you know, mm -hmm. we're, even as we look forward to Christmas as the historical event, that, you know, we don't lose sight of the fact this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Yeah. This is something that happens in our lives and it's something that will happen. And that's, I mean, the other part that's so, I think, subversive about Advent mm -hmm. is it's this time when the church consciously turns toward eschatology. That is, mm -hmm. it's thoughts about the end of the world, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. let's face it, a lot of Christians kind of get, you know, really either really squeamish about those things mm -hmm. because there's been a lot of really bad books written and really lots of bad. really bad movies made about yeah. the end of the world. You that's know, we kind so of like, many, many, just, many, many copies. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just not going to talk about that because that's yeah. kind of, eh. or, you know, they're the people that write those books. So <laughs> it's also this yeah. time, again, to be kind of subversive within mm -hmm. the Christian community as well as the wider world, to be mm -hmm. like, no, actually, as a Christian person, I am going to affirm that Christ is going to return as much as that might mark me as kind of odd in the modern yeah. world. Yeah. So. Yeah, we could use some weird right now. Yeah, though. yeah. So let's um, let's let's get weird. So let's talk a little bit about um, uh, some of the ways that uh, you personally or that you guys as a family mm -hmm. um, get your hands on Advent and your practices yeah. or the things you don't do or whatever. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. So you know, going back to I, I'm pregnant, and well, the other thing I guess that maybe fills in a bit of the story, mm -hmm. I'm actually a Christmas baby. I was oh. born on December 25th. I didn't realize that. No. So okay. I grew up my whole life feeling like, despite the decent efforts of my parents, I felt like I was getting the short end of the stick the whole way through, right? Because there's nothing worse than, you know, being a Christmas yeah, baby. Yeah, totally. It yeah. really sucks. Yeah. So yeah. as an adult who was like now suddenly facing that I was going to have children, and that was going to give me a certain amount of power over grandparents to determine how <laughs> holidays were going to be celebrated. Uh -huh. um, started consciously thinking about, okay, well, what can we, how do we make this 
something that our family does put our own stamp on mm-hmm. it. And of course, uh, my husband Andrew's Australian, so that means his practices, you know, w- whenever you join people together in a household, again, mm-hmm. be they roommates or, you know, uh, partners or spouses or whatever, there's always these different cultures that collide. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, the nice part about being married to someone from another country is that's that's made really evident to you all the time. Sure, um, and maybe you walked into her eyes a little more open that that would happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, he has a funny accent that's really amazing, and um, <laughs> th- th- yeah, just all sorts of things that are different. But especially around Christmas, right? Mm. Because Christmas in Australia is board shorts, uh, go down to the oh, beach. Right. Because have for a people swim. who don't know how the hemispheres work, yes, <laughs> they're experiencing summer on the southern hemisphere, right? When exactly. we're experiencing winter. Yes, okay. and so Santa Claus is wearing swim trunks and is on a surfboard (laughs) and you go to people's houses for barbecues in the afternoon and everyone's in thongs and swimsuits and going for a swim having a beer andrew's in a thong i understand (laughs) no no uh (laughs) flip-flops oh good okay good to clarify that that's awesome um yeah so it's it's just an utterly different um experience of christmas yeah um and so you know had to kind of negotiate well how are we going Mm. to do this um and also then you know being kind of um i don't know uh, aware of the way that North America tends to make everything very consumeristic. Yeah. Um, didn't want to feed into that in our yeah. practices of Advent as a family. So started to kind of brainstorm and think about, well, what, what can we do and what can we learn from the church? Um, mm-hmm. what, can, what can we kind of pull from church tradition that might be a good guide to us? Mm-hmm. And so one of the first kind of like rules in my own head that I came up with was, I don't want to do anything that's going to add more mm-hmm. stuff to do to the season. Hmm. Because that seemed to be somehow fundamentally opposed to the idea of waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're waiting, well, you're waiting. Right. You're not doing. Um, and so one of the very first things we, we started talking about doing is how do we wait in preparation? Like, what does preparatory waiting look like? You know, it's easy to be um, a person who does lots of things to prepare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how do you couple that with waiting? Mm-hmm. Um, so in our family, um, what that's begun to look like is we prepare for Christmas very slowly and intentionally. So the first Sunday of Advent or the, the first weekend, roughly around the first Sunday because of weather, I put up the Christmas lights. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously you wait till the snow is not falling or, you know, it's above freezing, that sort of thing. Um, and that's all we do that weekend. And just to be clear, so like this year, first Sunday of Advent mm-hmm. is December 3rd. That's right. It's kind of around there. Yeah. yeah. So okay. sometime December 2nd or December 3rd, I'll yeah. put up the Christmas lights. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. And then we stop. Yeah. And we wait. Uh-huh. The next week, I'll get out our um, family nativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this great, like, kind of, um, I don't know, like, resiny type one, so the kids can play with it, mm-hmm. which I love. And I put it down on a table where they can get to it, and they just get free reign to play with it. So yeah. a couple years ago, the dog in the nativity was the absolute star of the show. <laughs> I kept coming down, and baby Jesus was, like, hidden, and the dog was in the manger. Oh, gosh, um, that's awesome. And then, you know, Danny's playing superheroes, and baby Jesus has been kidnapped. And it's, oh, right. But it gives them a way to get their hands on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's pretty fun. And your kids um, this year are how old? Uh, Danny's going to be five the day after Christmas, and Abby is seven. Yeah, okay. So that's um, – I like to get that down early so that they can connect with that, but also because it – forms a kind of um, visual point in our house just to remind us like what is this thing that yeah. we're getting ready to celebrate mm-hmm. but nothing else is up in the house at that point right it's mm-hmm. just a nativity mm-hmm. um some i I'll, some there's an old church tradition of not putting jesus in the creche in the manger until um christmas eve uh, another sort of waiting, waiting yeah. exactly yeah. um i chose not to do that because i wanted my kids to play with it i want i wanted them to yeah. have this sort of hands-on you know like just to get their imaginations into the story. Um, as they get older, we might start doing that. But um, yeah, for, for, for them, for their ages, it seemed appropriate to just be like, mm-hmm. play, have fun. Yeah. Um, 
so that's the second week of Advent. Yeah. The third week of Advent, um, and some of this, you know, it's it's flexible, right? Like that's always been part of the point for yeah. it with our family is that there's no hard and fast rules. It's just about trying to wait yeah. as we prepare. So the third Sunday, depending on when it falls, we either do the tree or a few other household decorations um, just to, you know, try to get the tree at the right point that it will last all the way through January 6th. Right. So, you know, you buy it too early, it's going to be dead. Right. That's just, right. Dead Christmas tree is not very it's cool. It's not a great symbol. No, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Woo. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we have a few other decorations around the house, um, you know, family stockings. Mm -hmm. We get those out and we stop again. And then the, um, then we do the Christmas tree. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, um, so, so you kind of like, you kind of slowly stagger that out. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think I understand like there's some other sort of things that you just kind of refrain from during the season, right? Yeah. So, um, we also, we take it as a time of fasting mm -hmm. and again, it's not and, about, and so fasting is when you abstain from something. Yeah. And right? it may not mean not eating anything for 30 days. No, right? no, goodness, no. <laughs> right, right. Um, but it is abstaining, um, in small ways. Mm -hmm. So for us, what that looks like, um, for my husband and I, it means no alcohol, mm -hmm. Um, no sweets and we minimize the amount of meat that we eat as mm -hmm. a family. We already don't eat much, but you know, minimize that. Um, the kids don't eat sweets, um, except, and this is the great thing about kind of church tradition. There's the, um, the vigil mass for Sunday in Catholic tradition. So the, the, the church service that anticipates the Sunday morning church service mm -hmm. is actually the start of Sunday. And you always get Sunday off of your fasting. Right. So basically from sunset Saturday night all through Sunday, right, you don't right. have to fast anymore. Yeah. So we've also embraced that as a way of, um, I don't know, it helps with being social through the yeah, season bet, as well. Like yeah, how you're right. going to have people around for drinks on a Sunday afternoon. Yep. You know, so um, yeah. so there is that you know fasting loophole. It's always good to know the loopholes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a couple of questions about your experience yeah. of those things mm -hmm. you described. So like I wonder, just it's that first uh, weekend of Advent. You hang the lights. Yeah. And I wonder too, maybe the first year that you guys decided to mm -hmm. uh, appropriate some of this stuff for your yeah. family, like you hang the lights and then that's it. Like, I'm yeah. curious, like what's going on in you? Um, oh, I forgot something actually. Oh, okay. We do the Advent wreath too. We put oh, that right. together yeah, on the yeah, first yeah, Sunday. Yeah, so yeah. We shouldn't, it's not like there's nothing else. There is the wreath. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but what's going on? Um, I mean, it's really beautiful to look at them and you start thinking about, you know, why, why did we put these up? What are these doing? Mm -hmm. Um, it certainly starts to create longing. I mean, I think, you know, when we look at Christmas decorations and we think about what are those about culturally, um, mm -hmm. they, there seems to be a sense of wanting to make the world beautiful. Yeah. Wanting the world to be beautiful in mm -hmm. some way and, and trying to fight, um, you know, the darkness of winter, which you get much more sense of here than in some parts of the world. <laughs> um, and so you, you see those first Christmas lights and it does start to awaken something, I think, in my soul of, of wanting more, wanting mm. beauty, wanting the world to seem magical again, to feel enchanted again mm. in that way that it, it can, especially Christmas time when you're, you know, little and you have those sort of memories of, of getting excited about stuff. Um, if that's, if that's been people's experiences. Um, but yeah, just, I think seeing the beauty and, yeah. and wanting more beauty, wanting, wanting things more, yeah, to yeah. be good. Like, um, like an appetizer. Yeah. On beauty, just a, or a muse bouche for yeah, foodies out there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so then let's talk about the Advent wreath a little yes. bit, which people <laughs> might see in a church setting and people might see in a family setting or a home. Yeah. So the Advent wreath, um, the origins of it are vague. It goes back um, at least 100 years, <laughs> possibly quite a bit longer. Um, and it comes from Central Europe. Basically, it's uh, four candles oftentimes in a wreath of mm -hmm. like, you know, green garlandy sort of wreath. And like for people who haven't seen this, the yeah. wreath's not hanging on the wall. It's no, flat no, no, on it's table, flat on the so table. Yeah. Yeah. The circles is <laughs> yeah. horizontal. Yeah. It's yeah, it's horizontal. Yep. It's like a centerpiece to your table sort of thing. Yep. Um, 
Except my understanding, I think it's in Denmark they use bread, which I oh. find really fascinating. Um, to have this, like <laughs> loaf of bread on your table for a month. Um, but yeah, uh, in in uh, English speaking countries, it's traditionally been a, a greenery sort of um, wreath. And the idea is you light one candle each week um, to kind of watch the light around the table, around the wreath, and at the table or wherever you're doing it in your house, kind of grow through the season as a way of marking um, the season as you're getting closer. The candles traditionally, um, there's three purple ones and one pink one. Um, purple is <laughs> generally a sign of repentance, mm -hmm. of waiting, of fasting, of kind of these seasons of um, confronting the brokenness in the mm -hmm. world in the church. And so that's why those are purple, because it is a season for doing that. The pink one um, is for the third Sunday in Advent, and it's a sign of hope. This kind of, you know, it's, things are starting to look brighter sort yeah. of thing. It's remind you that that's coming and to kind of signal a, a turn toward not an abandonment of waiting or longing, but kind of just a turn toward it's we're getting closer now. You know, we can yeah. start looking with a little bit more um, expectancy and hope rather than just kind of longing and waiting. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you, yeah, you light one each each week. Um, in our family, we have some prayers that we say with those. Mm -hmm. um, they're not very long. And so what we do is, you know, the first week you say this one prayer, mm -hmm. and then we sing one verse of the old hymn, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which yeah. is one of the old, ad like one of the oldest Advent chants that's still kind of in use. Yeah. Yeah. And then it grows each week because then you get to the second week and you light the first candle and you do all that. Mm -hmm. Then you light the second candle and say a different prayer mm -hmm. and sing it the second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we do that then with the third and the fourth. I printed up some little cards a few years ago when I was feeling particularly crafty one day. And um, so now we have those around the table. People join us and it's like, here, you're on prayer too. Yeah. <laughs> so you, know, you bring whoever just happens to be around the table in. Yep. Um, and just so the listeners know, we're going to uh, make some of that, that kind of thing available uh, probably on the on the Facebook page for South Bend City Church. So by the time this episode is out there, uh, uh, Jessica has really generously offered to share some of those things uh, with everyone out there. So we'll put those out. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, you, you kind of referred to this a second ago. I want to just draw attention to it, though. Like um, you've described uh, some sort of very personal and maybe unique to you guys ways that mm -hmm. you yeah. appropriate these themes. You've described like the Advent wreath, which is something a lot of people do, a lot of yeah. churches do. Um, I when we talked earlier, one thing mm -hmm. I was struck by was I think maybe people, if they hear about a liturgical season mm -hmm. or a tradition in there, maybe from outside that, or maybe they, they grew up with a, those things were attached to other parts of their experience of religion or church that were um, kind of uh, very prescriptive or just felt um, like tradition for tradition's sake yep. or anything. Yeah. What, what I hear when you talk about this, um, first I just hear like there's all this really rich meaning behind it. Um, I hear this as a thing that sort of connects our bodies and our hours and our lives mm -hmm. into these the story that we, that we love and we yeah. believe. And I also hear um, like a kind of delightful little dance between uh, this is the way people have often done it and here's the ways that we just figured out to do it on our own. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about just the process of sort of the, the creative sort of liberty and the freedom to um, figure out how, how these things can show up in our lives. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the things, so one of the interesting things about Advent historically is it's one of the least defined seasons of the church year. People have been doing it since about three or 400, hmm. but with really varying sort of insistence. Like in the sixth, I think sixth or seventh century, it was like, you have to fast three days a week. Huh. And they kind of backed away from that. And it was like, well, maybe fast one day a week. And then by 1900, like the Catholic Church had removed any um, like punishments for not fasting. So it's like, <laughs> nice. it's a good idea. But, you know, yeah. so 
I think that actually creates even more space mm -hmm. um, for sort of liturgical experimentation because it's not like there's a right way to do it, mm -hmm. even in some of the most traditional churches. Mm -hmm. they might, there might be kind of a sense that there's a right way to do mm -hmm. it, but that's actually not historically accurate. Yeah. So I found that really freeing to be like, okay, so here's a season that there's all this potential, mm -hmm. but there's not like a right way. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing um, with kind of experimenting around it is um, reading, I was doing a lot of reading in like motherhood studies and like how do you create um, communities of resistance? People like... Um, uh, Sarah Ruddick and um, Andrea O'Reilly, um, I think is her name, talking mm -hmm. about like how do you raise your children in a um, paternalistic world to have a sense of, um, you know, that women are equal mm -hmm. and like kind of feminist communities and all this. And one of the things they talked about a lot was com creating community practices mm -hmm. and the importance of if you want to have a countercultural community, you need things that shape that identity. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of the, our kind of playing with Advent has been about how do we create... Um, like identity markers or things that create a community that tie us together with other Christians um, and give us a sense of, of identity of, of that this is what matters to us. This mm -hmm. story is a part of who we are and what shapes us. Yeah. Um, and so what that's looked like, you know, in terms of experimentation, um, you know, we uh, almost every second year we're in Australia for Christmas. So, you know, how do you do this when you're on the move? You know, yeah. there's always this invitation then to experiment because I don't have my house. We're not going to have a Christmas tree. The nativity's packed in the basement. You know, you don't tell your in-laws they're not allowed to decorate. Uh, no, no. Well, they don't decorate anywhere. They're Aussie. So it's, okay, you know, right, they, they don't do very much of that. Okay. They like kind of get out a very small Christmas tree because we're coming. And oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's not, um, well, not pandering to the Americans. That's exactly. Not, pandering not to the Americans. That's not something Aussies do. Yeah. Um, so wait, so, let so me, it's on the move. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's unpack uh, this because I think this is mm -hmm. really profound. And one of the sort of bigger ideas at stake in things like the liturgical year and even bigger than that, um, you mentioned uh, cultures or communities of resistance. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. There's a lot of there's plenty of preachers who like rail against the culture, quote mm -hmm. unquote. So there's that, which I, I don't know. I've, I've not often found to actually be maybe a very helpful perspective because half the time yeah. the things they're rolling against i love <laughs> exactly like, yeah. good music or i don't know yeah or, yeah yeah so don't watch movies kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that you know so uh, there's that that there's that whole thing mm -hmm. but then there's um it's like maybe the sad thing about that is reacting against mm -hmm. culture war kind of stuff th then we might be tempted to swing into a sort of just totally uncritical um just kind of go along right like yeah and so um there are all these practices and patterns that get woven into our lives. We talked about this again, back in the time series, mm -hmm. like in our daily patterns and we allow our time to be sort of colonized yeah. with things that get put in it by just the way the world works today. And before you know it, like you live in patterns and practices yeah. that are, that are speaking to our souls, I think about who we are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what those practices are telling us is not really true. Yeah. And you're, you're describing like having our eyes open, right? And saying, well, hold on then, right? Like, so let's recognize that and then say, but what is our real identity and how would we embed that in a way that resists some of that stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. And I mean, for me, I always think in narrative terms because, you know, it's, I'm a literary scholar, <laughs> yeah. it's what I do. Yeah. So, you know, kind of what is, what is the story that my life is being governed by? Is it a story of, you know, working for more and more success, um, trying to climb, you know, a particular career ladder, um, secure a certain sort of standard of living, or is the narrative that governs my life a narrative of um, God coming to earth to redeem the oppressed and to save the creation that he made and that he loves mm -hmm. 
and that he has then called me into um, to walk with him and to work with him in that project, mm-hmm. um, which means you know standing in solidarity with the oppressed. It means um, being aware of the way in which my life and uh, values and consumer practices maybe don't align with that narrative and you know constantly reshaping my imagination around that story that this is what matters most in the world yeah that god became man that he got dirty he went fishing he did carpentry work uh he died and somehow that works this incredible magic in the world right Mm -hmm. and starts to redeem everything Mm -hmm. um that's the narrative that shapes me and that's not the narrative of um culture broadly i mean that's that's just not what um that's not what everyone else is selling. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, and so, yeah. So the practices just, that tie into that. That's right. Let me just observe too. That, so then you're talking about kind of swimming against the current, which can be exhausting. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think it's just helpful to say too that um, like what I hear in you when you describe this and when I've seen others who, uh, other individuals or communities that sort of harness the power mm-hmm. of these, um, these seasons, like I feel like what I've seen is with the sort of the right spirit behind them they they're not burdened so much as they're sort of empowering i almost yeah. feel like um uh, i think it's augustine has this quote uh in confessions um he's reflecting on how his heart kind of grew up yeah on um the world around him mm-hmm. and he says something like i wish that my heart had grown up on the psalms the way that um that a vine grows up a trellis Mm-hmm. And I always, that trellis image to me is like so helpful. I yeah. think of it with spiritual practices. I think of it with a liturgical mm-hmm. year. Yeah. It's like, yeah, to like grow up in this certain direction toward the story that God's telling. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't have, I don't know how to get myself up toward like in that direction. And I don't have the strength to swim up, up the stream or whatever the metaphor is. Mm-hmm. But I picture that trellis and I, things like traditional spiritual practices and the liturgical yeah. year to me, they're like a trellis to grow my heart up on. Yeah. Um, like it, to teach my heart how to wait, for example. Yeah. And I think that it, it takes a lot of the burden away when you don't have to come up with it all by yourself. And so yeah. this goes back to that whole like interplay of like creativity and, but yeah. actually a lot of it's already there for you, you know, yeah. like fasting prayer. That's not actually that hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, there's prayers that you can just say, and there's something comforting in, you know, I don't have to, um, summon up the right emotional state of mind and like kind of psych myself up to have the proper feeling inside of my heart to make yeah. my prayers valid. Yeah. You know, there's something to the act of, I'm going to say this prayer and I'm going to just say it. Yep. And, and so I think that, yeah, that's part of the, the glory of um, liturgy is it, it's really useful in those times when, you know, you're just, the most you can manage is to get to church on Sunday because <laughs> that is all you have in you. And, yeah. you know, any feelings of woohoo, Jesus <laughs> are just like, they're not there, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of life that's like that. Yeah. Where, you know, it's, the most you can do to just say, God, I'm here. Mm-hmm. That's about all I got. Yeah. And to know that that is good enough. In fact, that's more than good enough. He finds it wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find that really encouraging. Yeah. Um, but you, you said an, used an important word. And you talked about, um, you know, as individuals swimming against the stream or communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important. One of, one of the other things that these sorts of um, ancient practices of the church remind us all the time is that we're part of a community. We are not called to swim against the stream alone Mm -hmm. or to somehow do this on our own. Um, I mean, you know, God obviously is there to help us, but also we are called into community and these sorts of liturgical practices help us to connect as a community and to know that we are part of a community and that we are being supported by and carried along by that community. Yeah. Um, so what we were in Australia a couple years ago at Christmas time and my kids, um, 
we'd been carrying our little advent candles from, you know, room to room, beach house in Southwest Rocks and my in-laws place in um, St. Ives. And we got to a friend's house in the Blue Mountains and my kids had never met these friends and they had kids about the same age, but they were kind of, you know, a little bit wary, a little bit too much traveling, a little bit too many people they didn't know, a little too many people, um, a few too many people excited by their American accents and wanting them <laughs> to say things. Um, and that night they're like, oh, you know, we're going to do our Advent wreath. Would you guys like to join us? And my kids just lit up because like we do, we had an Advent yeah, wreath. In fact, the yeah. candles were in my bag and they were so excited that these people they didn't know in this house 10,000 miles away mm. where it was summertime and everything seemed a little bit off and not Christmassy. Um, and, and just not not the same t- as what they were used to. Mm. That they were, they were like part of the same community, part of the same family. Yeah. Um, and it was this this really special time of connection for my kids um, with with these friends, but also with kind of just the oh, we have this identity, we have this, we belong somewhere in the world. Mm. Um, but that somewhere in the world isn't a nation or a mm. town or um, a racial group. It's we belong to the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and that that sense of it, that it tra- literally transcends, you know, oceans in this case. Yeah, um, was was really powerful for them. So, so that's a, a really beautiful example of something like uh, Advent practice. Um, you know, as sort of the the groundwork of a bond. Mm-hmm. But you also like the way you describe your practice of Advent. I can also imagine ways that that um, might it might feel like it like impedes or like gets in the way of bond like for example mm. I bet you're gonna be invited to Christmas parties yep that happen during the advent season mm-hmm. people are gonna be you know having holiday drinks and eggnog and and mm-hmm. and just doing kind of all those things that you're saying but we're gonna get to the Christmas the days yeah. of Christmas yeah. in a second here <laughs> but they, they're a little later for you yep tell me about that experience um I mean it it can be hard, right? I mean, there's amazing Christmas cookies and, you know, pie everywhere and yeah. eggnog. Oh, I love eggnog. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the act of just of saying no um, and that, remembering why. Does that ever does that ever feel like it puts a, bl- a little bit of distance between you and, the, and the, the people who are offering the cookies or the, the friends who invited you over who may not understand yeah. or be a part of that story that you're trying to live in? Most people, I mean... Most of the time, you know, I kind of talk to people ahead of time. Like if, if I'm going to a house for sure. dinner or something, kind of, you know, like, I mean, I was a vegetarian, a strict vegetarian for like 13 years. So, so I'm you, used to be like, and by the way, I don't eat meat. To be like, by the way, remember how I don't eat meat? Yeah, well, now it's alcohol and sweet. <laughs> I'm a pain. Um, you know, so I do try to give people a heads up. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it does kind of, um, yeah, it marks me as different. You know, I'm not the one who's having the glass of champagne mm-hmm. at the office Christmas party. Um, but... It also, I think it calls me back to that I, idea of, of solidarity. Yeah. You know, that I'm not having a glass of champagne with my 15 or 20 colleagues, but there are a lot of people in this world who don't have access to yeah, yeah. any of those privileges. And I'm fasting so that I can make myself kind of smaller in the world, take up mm. less space for a while. What does it mean to not consume so much? And to, as I do that, pray for those people, to take those moments as um, reminders to pray for those yeah. who find this to be their everyday unchosen situation, Yeah. right? Um, so fasting and prayer for me are very much linked, you know, as, as my stomach grumbles or I say no to a Christmas cookie, um, that's also a moment to pray, um, you know, in solidarity, um, to pray for yes. salvation, to pray for the redemption of, of a broken world. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it does mark me as, as separate sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I try not to make, I try not to draw attention to it or mm-hmm. make a big deal out of it. Um, you know, I'm going to be on a cruise boat for one week of Advent this year with, oh, with in-laws and there's oh, going to be a lot of saying no to things. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but that's okay. That's part of. But Andrew's gonna have his thongs, so that's <laughs> the sandals. That is. <laughs> we're we're gonna be yeah. Th- there will be some Mexican beaches, so that you know that'll that'll make up for <laughs> saying no to dessert on the cruise. But I mean, but the other thing though is there might be something, um, and, and there's. I think a lot of church practices are also making virtues out of necessity sometimes, but not in a bad way, right? We are embodied creatures and being in a constant state of consumption is not good for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. It's not good for our souls. It is also not good for our bodies. Mm -hmm. It is not good for the world we live in. Um, And so there's something kind of um, like, like a good bodily wisdom of not indulging too much all the time from, you know, the end of November until midway through January. When it just, it strikes me that like back to the kind of cultural currents, yeah. it's almost like there's just sort of this, this sort of social reality that has its own energy. Mm-hmm. Like no individual person is creating it. Yeah. But the collective experience is we all just overeat for six weeks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of, there's like this gift that also the way the season just, it just speaks the possibility. You don't have yeah. to. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. beautiful little gift. You don't, you don't have, have to. to. Yeah. And also like, you know, think about like being in solidarity with, you know, people that, you know, in the people in other places, but that's also, you know, a really limited view, right? Because what about the people that are standing there with you who maybe they struggle with addiction issues yes. and they can't say yes to that glass of wine either. And they're feeling left out or the person who has a really severe gluten allergy and every single cookie is always <laughs> off or the diabetic. I mean, there's so many reasons why people mm-hmm. can't partake of all these good things at the ho- during the holidays. Um, to be part of normalizing saying no as, as being an okay choice, mm-hmm. you know, that's also, I think, a really important um, gift we can offer others around us during the holidays. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Now, less people think that um, this is just all abstention <laughs> and restraint. Let's talk about the other part of this because yeah. people, may, pe- people may not realize that traditionally the month of December is Advent, not mm-hmm. Christmas, yep. until Christmas Day. Yep. But they also may not realize that traditionally Christmas Day isn't just a day. That's right. So that's the next part of this experience of the story. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Christmas, the season of Christmas actually starts with the um, usually the evening mass or the evening church service on Christmas Eve. And that for the church traditionally um, ushered in a well, really 13-day period of full-on feasting um, and celebration. So, and the reason I say 13 is you have the 12 days of the Christmas season, which is where, of course, we get the song, the 12 12 days days of Christmas. Christmas. It's because it was 12 days. Um, And then the Feast of the Epiphany. Which, which is, is another moment on the liturgical another calendar. Another moment in the liturgical calendar yeah. that kind of caps off the Christmas season. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's all out feasting for, for 12 to 13 days. Um, and we, we, you know, we feast during those 12 to 13 <laughs> days. And there's, there's different ways that manifests in the yeah. lives of different members in our family. Um, yeah. it, it can look like, you know, a, a little bit of Irish cream in the coffee <laughs> in the mornings. It can look like lots of great friends around yeah. for lots of meals, lots yeah. of sweets, lots uh, of Gift giving goods. that goes on for more than a day. Yeah. yeah. So, um, again, having kids in the house makes us very aware of presents on Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a driver. Um, but the other thing we started to realize was that the sort of two hour present frenzy around the tree um, led to a sort of gift fatigue. Hmm. Um, it, was, it wasn't really practical. Um, and also it meant that like, Chris, like, how do you make, how do you ever live up to that for the next 11 days of Christmas, right? Like you're trying to tell your kids, no, this is another day of Christmas. It's exciting. And they're like, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it's not. Where's yeah, the presents? Right. So we started dividing their presents over all 12 days. So they get presents all 12 days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Now we make an effort to not buy them extra presents because mm-hmm. of this. So some days it'll be something like 
a punnet of raspberries from the grocery store because they love raspberries. They're not in season. Um, And it's amazing because on that day, they're really excited about that. Mm. Now, if that had come between the Lego fire station and the new (laughs) pair of roller skates, you know, raspberries, chuck them. So it it helps them to develop sort of a thankfulness Mm. and attentiveness to their gifts. Um, and, and kind of spreads out the joy. And then it also just becomes really practical, right? You know, grandma can't get here till the 28th of December. Great. She's there yeah, to open the presents. She's part yeah. of Christmas. Um, you I, forgot to get your kids that thing they really wanted or it was right. sold out. Guess what? It's the eighth day of Christmas present. Uh-huh. Now you're selling this. This <laughs> yeah. is good. This is good. And, and you can get it at 50% off the day after yeah, Christmas. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of practicality mm-hmm. behind this as well. Um, are there, um, so like during the Advent time, mm-hmm. you have uh, the prayers around the Advent wreath. Yeah. Are there any ways that scriptures or prayers or any sort of devotional practices show up in the, the Christmas? I, I don't even yeah. know this. Is that normal in the, the 12 days of Christmas to do anything like um, that? I, I, again, I think it varies because, I mean, for Protestants, the 12 days of Christmas have not been something we've really given a lot of attention to. Yeah. Um, and in Catholic tradition, um, you know, it, it varies wildly depending on the kind of devoutness of the family. And um, I mean, there's certainly set readings for each day in the mm-hmm. church. For our family, I'm trying to increasingly bring in um, readings for each day of Christmas. I think readings during Advent, we, we you know we have the prayers, but then it becomes so much to do like all this prayers and these singing, these candles, the, then do like a Bible reading. It starts <laughs> to become like a church service around, you know, it's like we just want to yeah. eat our dinner. It's getting cold, mama. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so I'm trying to bring more of, of like uh, reading, um, reading from the Gospels, you know, around the story of the Nativity, um, you know, the birth of Jesus, and kind of all of the different accounts of that yeah. um, into the into the actual Christmas celebration um, over those twelve days. Um, and also, you know, there's great there. Uh, again, I'm a lit professor, right? So, yeah. you know, there might be a little bit of T. S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi on Epiphany and yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, bring bring in kind of these these riches um, to yeah. that season too. Well, it's funny as you're talking, I was actually just thinking about how whether it's Advent or uh, the days of Christmas, like. Like in Advent, I'm thinking, you know, we have this this really rich language, um, poetry and scripture that mm-hmm. come from the church. But I'm also thinking of, um, man, like any lover of pop music can mm-hmm. find some songs that are really quite serious in, in the way they talk about like longing. Yeah. Something unfulfilled. Um, and I, I, th- I feel like some of that art would be really appropriate. Just pay attention to it yeah. during that season, right? Yeah. No, I've, I last year I was commuting to Wheaton. Um, it was, I was teaching there three days a week and I actually you know, like put together an Advent playlist that yeah. was kind of these like songs of like longing and preparation for Christmas. Yep. Um, we, we also try to hold back on the Christmas carols until about Christmas time and then yeah. you know, that's yeah. when that's when they come on. So yeah, so yeah, things like that that you yeah. can really... And there's, there's so much out there, interestingly enough, I think possibly more in kind of what we would consider to be secular culture than um, in the church for some reason, yeah. which is maybe quite telling. Well, right, because at least, at least maybe the, the part of the church that I grew up in and it's easy to kind of overstate mm-hmm. this, but like, yeah, I, um, you know, it's like, we didn't know that most of the Psalms are laments, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. and we didn't know that, um, that spaciousness that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. is in fact, you know, so much a part of our tradition. And I, I really love how these, um, it's funny there, how sort of people who may not, um, know these traditions or even feel connected to the story of Jesus, um, but people like artists who are good mm-hmm. at speaking from the heart yeah, um, are able to kind of name for us some of the things that we ought to be good at naming, but I'm glad we have their help, whether yeah. it's mainstream or Christian or whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so uh, let's, let's just uh, talk, uh, kind of summarize what we're talking about mm-hmm. in terms of practice. Yeah. Advent and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, for listeners, we've already kind of said this, but um, I love this because it's a great example. And um, 
Jessica, thanks for like, some of us might just do exactly what you did this year, <laughs> which is a great like place to start perhaps. Maybe yeah. we just do exactly what you did. We <laughs> do the lights the first week mm -hmm. and then have seen and then the tree or whatever, um, the stocking and then the tree. But, and then maybe the next year we'll play around a little differently. Yeah. But um, so we're talking about a sort of um, wh what ways can you enact waiting? Yep. Let's kind of like tick off okay. how you would sort of characterize what constructs good advent practice. Okay. So uh, number one, waiting. Yep. Um, the second thing would be fasting of some sort um, or some sort of self-restraint mm -hmm. that, that, and that plays into waiting, obviously. Um, and the third would be prayer, mm -hmm. which grows out of fasting and waiting because then you start to realize there's a lot to pray about and for and yeah. um, that, that um, we need to be calling out to God. Yeah. And then all of these things, I think, um, and when we think about like um, sensory ways in which these are manifest, um, the Advent wreath becomes one of those key kind of uh, ways in which we formalize prayer um, we watch waiting enacted as we light each candle each week. And um, there's, a, there's a bit of fasting, I think, that goes in there, too, in terms of, you know, the, the deprivation of light that grows into light. So yeah, it kind of it becomes a, a visual representation of all these things. And, and fasting, correct me if I'm wrong, but like in the tradition of the church, fasting and then also sort of um, being able to kind of be, mm -hmm. be more generous. Yeah. These are sometimes connected. And this might be a season where where it also sort of invites generosity is that absolutely yeah so fasting and almsgiving were always seen as kind of you know they go hand in hand if you're taking in less you have more to give mm -hmm. um I mean, it's just kind of basic you know supply and demand sort of thing yeah. um and yeah and that's I, that's you know one, one happy thing in our culture is that is something that has really survived is mm -hmm. you know um think about all the toy drives and people volunteering at homeless shelters and i think that there does tend to be a lot more of a sort of um, sense of giving of the self during the christmas um, yeah. during the advent season um, and a little bit into the Christmas season. Yeah. So that, that's a good thing that our culture has managed to keep. Mm -hmm. so. if, um, if Advent is, among other things, a place where we sort of like live at the intersection between what is hurting and broken in the world mm -hmm. and what is hopeful in the world and what, you know, kind of um, the goodness that breaks in through Christ. Uh, I, I know for me, um, like I found uh, charitable giving to, to really be a part of that. This isn't a plug for the church, by the way. Like <laughs> There's lots of other good organizations to give mm -hmm. toward, but I find... Um, there's a few that I, I, I feel like I've got reason to trust these, these groups. They do really good work. And yeah. I find that giving to them year round, but especially in the Christmas season, it, it's another mm -hmm. act where those two things intersect, you know, like, wow, there's some stuff that's just broken yeah. and hurting. And, um, and also there are people who sort of carry that, that light, the way a candle kind of shows up in the darkness mm -hmm. and we can kind of support them. So that might be something for people to think about too. Absolutely. I have some friends in Australia who, um, one of their Advent practices that when our kids get a little bit older, I'm really keen to do it, is um, each week the kids have to go through kind of their clothes and their toys and their, you know, kind of all the stuff that kids accumulate and find things out of that to, to give away as kind of a part of um, a way of embodying this. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, it's, it's very good to give money, absolutely, and organizations need that. And mm -hmm. um, I think as adults, we do that quite a lot. But I think for kids to actually participate in that process in a meaningful and tangible way, yeah. um, you know, What's, what's a toy that you can give to someone else out of what you have? Not like a let's go to the store and mom and dad will pay for it and you pick it out. Yeah. Because that doesn't really connect them with it. So, um, yeah. Excellent. Well, um, I think that's a good, a good dose for people <laughs> to kind of embrace this. Um, I was uh, thinking about Advent and preparing for our conversation. And it's funny. I, I didn't know that we were going to talk about your, um, when you were pregnant with your first child. Now that's kind of part of the plot line. But um, there's uh, the way that Eugene Peterson renders a passage from Romans 8 that I found it just stirred up something inside me as I get ready for Advent. And I feel like it, it speaks to a lot of the things that you've addressed. 
So this is from the, the book of Romans in the New Testament uh, where Paul's writing, but this is a sort of a paraphrase from a guy named Eugene Peterson. And he says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. It's not only around us, it's within us. The spirit of God is arousing us within. So we're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. And um, I feel like that's a really beautiful picture mm. of what we're invited into uh, in these practices. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. I'm thank super you. excited for people to jump into this stuff. And um, whether you're part of Stop and City Church or have a way to jump into any kind of community in this season, anybody listening, I hope that you'll find some other people to walk with uh, in the season ahead. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks.